This episode of the Badass Ladies Club is sponsored by Badass Retreats. It's time to make your healing a priority. Find out more at www.blcbadassretreats.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Badass Ladies Club. My name's Laurie. I'm here with my girl, Jessica, and my other girl, Eva. Oh, my gosh. This is so exciting. Um, Before we get started, it would be so cool if you would like, rate, five-star review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, screenshot this episode, and send it to a friend that you think might love it. You can put it on your Instagram stories, and we'll reshare it. We are so honored that you are spending your time watching this podcast, listening to this podcast. Um, I will share with you that our numbers are growing, you know, like our podcast is expanding and it's so exciting because it's because people like you are sharing it. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Mm -hmm. Keep up the good work. Man, um, a little bit of backstory about today's episode, right? Like we have had Eva Nelson on the podcast before. (laughs) Wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it? Um, And you guys have heard us talk about Eva, okay? Like Eva has been such a big part of my healing journey Mm -hmm. and of Jessica's healing journey. She's a very dear friend, um, healer, educator, all around badass lady. And the last time that we got together to record a podcast, it just like magically did not record. Um, It was the weirdest thing, guys. Like... (laughs) Even our producer, Paul, was like, what the fuck? In his whole career. In his whole career, had never experienced this. Mm -hmm. So this is round two, which (laughs) is really exciting that we're uh, giving it a go again. And we are going to focus on a topic that is really, really prevalent in the healing community. You know, like when you're working with people, pretty much what keeps all of us going sometimes is this overwhelming feeling of shame when we're dealing with healing, you know, what's hurting us. And so shame has been a topic that Eva has been chatting with me about for a while. Mm -hmm. We actually have a course that's going to be out this spring where we're really going to dig into shame. Mm -hmm. And so it seemed like a good topic to come on the podcast and talk about um, just to kind of introduce how shame manifests in our lives, right? And how it affects us on all of these different levels. So Eva... Thank you for being here mm. again. 2.0. Yeah. Yes. I just want to say thank you so much. The honor is mine. And thank you guys for being here. Yeah. Um, I'm so excited to be here. It's so, so good. So yes. let's um, get into it, right? Um, shame starts early. Uh, mm-hmm. And it is, um, it comes at you from so many directions. Mm-hmm. But specifically, I know when you and I started talking about shame, the thing that came and hit me so hard was like this feeling that um, I should be ashamed. Mm -hmm. And that was the voice that I heard um, little Laurie absorbing, you know, like that you should be ashamed of yourself. A lot of times for things that I was being conditioned to understand right and wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, like this connection of being ashamed of my shame and how those things kind of feed into each other was really, really big in my head when we started talking about shame. Yeah. And I think um, I was working with someone recently and she put it so eloquently that people that don't have a lot of shame because we all have it, but some people don't have a lot of it. Some of us have plenty to go around (laughs) is those voices that we hear are shame. So somebody mm. else would be like, what voices? I'm like, what? You don't have those voices that like badmouth you and tell you that you should have done different or you're an idiot or all those harsh, that little critic in us. When you don't have a lot of shame, you don't have those voices. Yeah. And that's when it was such a beautiful way to put it. Like, oh, that's how we identify shame is what voices are coming out. Um, and I was shocked that not everyone had the voices too. I was like, tell I would you assume don't. that everyone has the voices. Right. But I mean, I'm sure they do to an extent, right. but like you're saying, do not you, as much. To your point though, like I'm gonna say Aubrey has very little shame. What? No, really. Yes. Like he maybe has like some childhood pieces here and there that come up occasionally, but for the most part, like yes. he is one of those people that just has and that manifests differently for him than it has, you know, like I think that it 
changes your outlook on so many things. But yeah, like Aubrey's one of those people with very, very little shame. Whereas I'm constantly hearing what we've called shame voices mm-hmm. in my right. head um, that tell me usually when I'm doing things that are either quote unquote wrong, okay, like mm-hmm. you did something wrong, you behaved in a wrong manner, or a lot of times my shame comes up when I'm not considering other people's needs and feelings before my own. Mm-hmm. And so I know for my own shame stories and my own shame voices, so much of that has motivated me being so conscious of everyone else around me and putting my own needs last, right? Yeah. Because I didn't want to feel the shame of not considering other people's feelings and needs first, mm-hmm. which is like a double-edged sword a lot of times, you know, like the way that that works out. Um, and then shame also, I think, is so interesting because I notice how much I unconsciously shame other people. Yeah. So it's not just about like the shame that you experience, but also that it teaches you that other people should have shame and that the way you influence others to do what you want them to do is to shame them, you know, and that we don't always look at that as far as being, you know, like good people is concerned. I was about to say, like, I mean, as an adult and going through a healing journey um, for almost a year now, which is wild to think about. Yeah. I mean, I I have plenty of shame to go around, but in this conversation with you guys, I mean, my number one concern is like, how do I play into shame with my daughter? Mm, yeah. Um, and how maybe unconsciously me or any other adult around her, her dad, her grandparents. Um, maybe even a teacher. I mean, I love her teacher. Don't get me. If you're listening, I love you. But, um, that sometimes like it could be unconscious. So like Eva, what do you like, what would you say to that? Like, how do we unconsciously play into shame specifically with children, but other people too? Yeah. Well, when, when you were talking, Larry, like even driving over here, I think shame comes from so many different places. Like, and we've been working it for a while. I mean, we all been working it for a while, but like actively, like, what is this shame? Like on the way over here, all my insecurity came up and that's shame. Like, I can't believe you're going to go do this. You're not an expert, blah, blah, blah. And that's total shame voice. And then to your point, what I would unconsciously want to do is shame somebody else to make myself feel better. Right. Right. And then the shame cycle starts because then I'm like, oh, that was really harsh. I can't believe I was so harsh. It's like nonstop, but it can come from insecurity. It can come from where we feel like we're lacking doubt. Um, Yeah. Right or wrong. It's like, it's so layered. And I think, well, what's funny is Laura and I came up with this, like, how do we approach shame? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And And we felt really good about it. And like everything else, we trusted that it was coming out, that like this is kind of how we've done it. And then as luck would have it, I took a bath the next day. And what did I do? I went through the whole process because it was up. And I was like, okay, Eva, Mm. what's your shame story? And I was like, (laughs) and and like by the end, I was like, what's your new story? And I was like this. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it works. But it's such it's constant work, you know, because even as we're working this, it's just constantly watching ourselves, but with such love when we catch ourselves either shaming ourselves or like wanting to shame someone else, just being like, okay, like I hear you, but what's a different way to approach this? Like, right. yes, it's more vulnerable to not shame or to be open or to admit someone else is right. I mean, there's so many layers to this. So much. <laughs> um, one thing that made me think about when you were asking, like with children specifically, is that so many of the shame voices I hear in my head are from family members, right? Mm -hmm. People that truly loved me and weren't trying to like damage me or, you know, like inflict this thing on me that I was going to carry, you know, as far as my shame story was concerned. And so that there's this idea that we're teaching in this course of, it's okay to hold space for your experience with what, these unconscious influences had on you, you know, like I know none of my family members that I have shame voices in my head from were consciously trying to put that in my head. They were trying to help guide me, right? help lead me in a direction that they really felt like was going to support me, you know, like in my life. 
And I also get to have my experience for how that's affected me. And so it gave me a lot of freedom that it's not like I'm hating on anybody that I received one of these shame voices from, you know, and that it is kind of like this uh, combination of lots of people that I've heard things from, family, teachers, authority figures, all of this that create this voice in my head that's telling me I'm not doing things right or I'm not good enough for something or I'm not enough, you know, like that none of those things were intentional, you know, and there are circumstances where people are shamed and it is intentional, obviously, you know, <laughs> right. but I think it makes it hard for us as humans because we don't want to make our family members that love us wrong for shaming us, you know, and mm. it's and so to be able to separate that and say they were doing what they thought was right and that that was unconscious on their part and that I still get to have my experience and heal that part made it so much easier for me to work this shame concept, right? Because it wasn't about blame. Mm -hmm. It was about deconstructing it and deciding what it meant for me. And then how was I going to like reframe this story to be something that supported me? Um, which to Eva's point, you know, like guys writing courses and producing courses, <laughs> like for the amount that the three of us have done mm -hmm. that to this stage in the game, it's so funny because as you're doing it, you're like, this is awesome. And we got this and it's so good. And I've really worked this shame story. Like I've got it. And then like literally the day after we finished recording the video content, like I was also just process. Like, ah. <laughs> like, it is, um, yeah. it is layered. It is intense and it doesn't really, I'm sure someday we'll get to like what an end zone looks like with that. But really all it does is, reveal more opportunities to be compassionate and love on yourself, you mm -hmm. know, and help uh, shift and evolve these things that are really limiting us sometimes. And um, so, yeah, like, I don't think it's about not about doing anything different. So you're not shaming her, but always giving her like so much autonomy over her experience, you know, that she gets to decide what's right and wrong for herself. And if I have a lot of value in anything that both of my parents handed down to me, it was that I got to be a certain age where they said, we've done our work, you know, like now we just get to watch you be an adult and do your thing and hope that we taught you the best that we could, you know, and it really gave me this separation between, oh, like I get to take the reins now, like this is about me. And it took me a long time to like identify that and appreciate that. But I do think it makes it easier for me now to like separate and hold space for my experience and not be angry or spiteful or, you know, like once I've processed those things at a bigger level, if any of that makes sense. No, that totally makes sense. Um, I just have so much going through my head. So like the hardest part about raising a kid for me is I have to be really careful with how I talk to her because she'll talk to me the same way. Um, <laughs> because I'm not a baby talk person. So from right. the minute Adelaide came out of me, like I basically talked to her like an adult in an age appropriate way, of course. Um, and you know, she's in school this year. And so, um, for example, getting ready in the mornings is like the bane of my existence. And, um, I've lost my temper a lot and I've just explained to her like, you know how mommy yells sometimes it's just cause I lose my patience and I'm so sorry. And like, I don't mean to make you feel bad. I just, we're on a schedule and we have to meet that schedule and I can't help that that's the schedule. That's when your school starts and we can't, you know? And so last week we had another morning where she was, Adelaide is just so present mm -hmm. with everything that she does. Yeah. And I envy her for it that she just walks through life and enjoys it as a five-year-old should. Whereas I'm like always planning for the next thing and whatever, whatever, you know, and I lost my temper and I was yelling and Adelaide goes, mommy, do you remember that time <laughs> when you told me that you lose your patience? I just don't like it when you yell at me. I mean, she was just very like, oh I just, God. I just don't like it when you yell at me like that. And you're losing your patience. And I mean, she was talking to me just like I talked to her and I was like, okay, I get it. Like, I get it. Okay. Um, and so it's just, it's so interesting. And I, 
especially after I say after as if I'm through it since starting a healing journey and being like really aware. Um, I'm hoping that like, at least that my awareness that even when I do slip up, that hopefully I'm raising Adelaide in a way where she will have that autonomy and be like, my mom's just trying her best, but this is how I feel about it. Mm -hmm. Um, but my next question is, do you guys think that shame is almost a necessary evil? And I mean this in a way Mm -hmm. of like, um, fear. Like, ideally, I would love to never feel fear. But sometimes that feeling of fear keeps you from doing really dangerous things. So do you think that shame is the same? I'm going to let you take that first. Yeah. Well, I want want to just acknowledge, Jessica, you're an awesome mom. Thank you. (laughs) No, really. And I think, like, we're all going to wound our children, right? And we're going to wound each other. That's just what happens. But one of the things we talk a lot about on the healing journey or anything you're doing is this personal accountability. And Mm -hmm. it's so epic and it seems so easy once you learn the skill. But like we don't like to admit when we do things wrong or when we're struggling with something. And which is so interesting because like the root, the root of shame is that we're flawed, that Mm -hmm. we're broken. Um, so like, like admitting that we don't know something, I mean, that is such like bravery and it's like showcasing to, you know, like your beautiful daughter and the people we know, which is why we always say like, when you're doing your work, it's, it's going to spread. Um, but just that notion itself is going to work the story, right? Just us admitting out loud because we don't also like to talk about shame. Yeah. Um, because it's shameful. It is. Yes. Yes. Um, and admitting we have shame, like we talked about it. I was like, I don't think I should be doing this course. Like my little shame <laughs> voice came out. I was like, who do you think you are? And I was like, I don't know. Who am I? Like, maybe I shouldn't do it. And I, I mean, we've been like, I've probably been resisting this for three mm. or f- six months. We've been talking about it a long time. A long time. Yeah. Yeah. I know you guys yeah. have. Um, but, oh shit, now I lost so the So the shame, shame a necessary right. yes. feeling or... What I would say is... More being a human is really hard. And the way that we have traditionally done it is to get people online. And I think that fear is good. But I think the what am I trying to say? Like being more conscious and like intentional about how we live is probably the better way to go. Meaning if we're doing all this work on our own healing journeys, like obviously something wasn't working when we were growing up, right? Like that level of communication wasn't there. I mean, my family will probably never admit that they've ever done anything wrong, like (laughs) ever, right? Mm. So I think fear is definitely good. And there is this argument out there that like shame is healthy. I don't think shame is healthy. I think giving your children or each other things to fear or what's morally right, what are our values, like what feels good, what doesn't feel good is more important because it's more talking about the thing. Shame is a very easy, like, just like get in line. Mm-hmm. Whereas what you're doing is the harder part, like talking about like, why would we fear this? Like, why isn't it okay to treat someone like that? Why is it not okay to steal? Like, what are the repercussions? And not like over talking. But yeah. I just think this notion of like treating each other with like humanness is is just going to get more fruit than shaming, blaming, belittling. And they're so easy to do because it is a very quick, I mean, I, I raised my son on my own. And I can tell you, it's a lot easier to get him to fall in line than have like an hour long conversation each time. Yeah. Right? No, I feel that. Yes. No, but I love that answer. Yeah. I think so much about, cause we've had, we did a whole episode on fear, mm-hmm. right? And I've always loved this concept of like, you only have two motivations pretty much in anything that you do. It either comes from love or it comes from fear. Mm. And so even when you're, to your point, like trying to teach values, that that comes from a place of love with a parent, you know, where they, and in the course we talk about shame stories, our own personal stories. And one of the stories that I brought up is when I had stolen candy from the gas station. I honestly don't even know how old I was. I think I was like nine or 10 or 11 or something. And I got busted by my parents and they made me go back to the 7-Eleven and give it back and tell the guy that I had stolen this candy and some of it I had eaten already. So I had to pay for it, you know, like, um, and that there was so much shame, you know, like 
I was so ashamed. And, you know, my parents were so disappointed in me. Valuable lesson, right? Like it taught me about who I wanted to be in a way that like I was clearly trying to figure out, you know, Um, and that that by anybody's account was a lesson I needed to learn and know there was no wrong in making me go back and be responsible for my actions and have that accountability. Um, and that was a fearful thing too. Like, I'm pretty sure I was like, they were, they were like, you could go to jail, you know, like (laughs) maybe the police will come and arrest you, you know, like all of these things, like, did I do the right thing because I was scared of the consequences? Was it really more about the shame that I felt that I had done something wrong and I got caught, which truly I think that was a bigger part of it for me. Not that I had done this thing that was wrong, but that I got caught doing Mm -hmm. the thing that was wrong. Um, And my papa, God rest his soul, like used to always say this thing to me where he'd say, baby, be good. But if you can't be good, don't get caught. (laughs) (laughs) And I took that, you know, like I heard all the stories about him growing up. I knew that he was like the dark horse and the bad kid and heard about all the rascally things that he did. And he usually didn't get caught, you know. And so this idea of it was okay to be bad as long as you don't get caught and there aren't consequences also kind of put this whole torque on shame for me. Right. Mm -hmm. Because um, sometimes doing bad things feels good. Mm. and that it's so confusing, especially, like, I think Adelaide's age is hard, but I think, like, these ages where you're, like, preteen into yeah. high school oh are so tricky because you have so, and anymore with all of the influences that kids have coming at them, there's a lot of ways to look at levels of shame mm-hmm. and not being ashamed of things that t- people tell you you should be ashamed of. And when it comes down to values, like, are you doing what you're doing out of love? Or are you doing it out of fear? And that those are really easy ways to look at it for me. So I'm not like shaming myself for things that are maybe just different about me. Because there's a lot of things about me that are different, you know. Um, Like I talked about shame about not having children. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got all kinds of like weird Mm -hmm. shame stories about the fact that that's just not something I chose to do. And that several times in my life had the opportunity to do that, you know, and chose not to. And that that is... um, something that I feel like I'm still working on on the regular to feel good about, but in a way where I almost want to like justify it, right? Like I need everybody else to be okay with it too, which is the weird fuckity thing about shame, you know? Like it's not just about us. It has so much to do with our community, our circle of friends, our family, our environment. Um, It's a lot to unpack. It is. And I think that, you know, Brene Brown talks about this, that one of the things that Shane creates is his lack of empathy, mm-hmm. right? For yeah. ourselves, for others. And it's this like not cr- holding space because if I'm flawed, um, like I have no empathy for myself. I'm just like, well, you should just do better, right? Or like you shouldn't do this anymore. Or I can't believe you did this again. But then if somebody else is coming to me with a shame story, like, um, yeah, I was, I was like running late for work. And so I just like went through a bunch of red lights and, and you're like, oh, that's terrible. Like you should... That's not cool. And instead of being like, wow, that sounds like you made a hard decision and like, are you okay? We like instantly shame, right? Mm -hmm. So they're already feeling shame. But it's like because we don't even see that we're lacking the empathy. And I think that's a big one is. And that's kind of like what's happening in society. We have a lot of people that lack empathy. And I think it's because and shame is such like a kind of an umbrella. But it's this idea that we shame comes from the things that we don't actually want to talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'm not going to explain why this is right or this is wrong. I'm just going to say that this is wrong. And if you do it, like, you're evil or you're mm-hmm. bad, right? Instead of being like, okay, well, if you're going to be sexually active, this is how you should do it. This is what you should think about. Instead, I'm just going to say, like, well, if you do this before you're married, I mean, you're just, you're damned or whatever the philosophy right. is. Um, but it creates this lack of, one, critical thinking, but then, two, empathy. It's like we don't have empathy for ourselves. And so I feel like, And we can't get out of that cycle, right? Because the more shame you have, the more harsh you are on yourself. And by default, like compulsively, you're harsher on others. And we've all seen people that we love that are treating us in such a harsh way. And we're like, whoa. And then I instantly think like, how harsh are you on yourself if you treat me this way? Like then it turns to like such love for that person. Like what is going on inside your heart and soul, right? Mm-hmm. Like that must be a battleground, which I can relate to. Yeah. But yeah, shame. It's one of my favorite things that you 
ever pointed out to me was like, as soon as people that used to like hit your trigger and make you really angry, instead of being like upset with them, that you feel empathy and compassion for them. That means that you're moving in the right direction on this healing journey. Right. And it is so true that Mm -hmm. like anybody that I would have been super triggered by eight to 10 months ago today, when these things come up, it is so much easier for me to have compassion. May not mean that I want to hang out with them. Right. <laughs> May not mean that I like want to engage with them. But like on this universal front, I do have so much empathy for what they must be going through mm-hmm. um, because of the way that we're relating or not relating. You know, um, it's truly a beautiful thing that it's like twofold. You get better with yourself and you get better with others. And you get better with yourself mm-hmm. and you get better with others. And um But to that end, one thing that we did talk about in the course that I thought was so juicy and awesome was this idea of like collective shame. So like shame from society or from whatever collective group you might associate with. So um, like women have this collective shame a lot of times as a gender, you know, probably gender like related trauma or um like religious trauma or, or racial or, or yeah. yeah like yeah. or even like um you know like America has collective yeah. shame right yeah. or Canada has collective shame like so wherever you identify in all of right. these different areas there are likely these big collective shame pieces that play into how you feel about things mm-hmm. that weren't related to necessarily your family or actions you took or things that had anything to do with you, but you still carry this shame. Um, Mm -hmm. It's so fascinating to talk about this part of it Um, because we ingest so much of this stuff about how we're supposed to feel. One thing that came up for me when we were talking about collective shame was just like how much the me too movement created this collective shame for men. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and it didn't matter if they had ever been a part of, um, a, you know, undermining or a sexual assault on a woman or taking advantage of somebody from a power position, you know, like they may not have had that experience, but it changed the way that they operated in the world and that they felt shame as a collective gender mm-hmm. for all of these stories coming out, you know. And what I think is so interesting about that is it's not like they had probably never heard about that. You know, like it was there before, but it was all the attention and the accountability to it that created this collective shame that came through. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about cultural and collective shame as it like Ah. connects. I know (laughs) (laughs) this is a nice light subject we've got here. Well, I mean, growing up Catholic for me, I think that there's so much like sexual shame. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. I mean, just the other day, I was having a conversation with a client who, for the record, I love this woman. She's one of my favorites. And um, she was talking to me about one of her grown daughters who's an adult and has a child of her own, for God's sakes. But um, just how, like, this particular daughter, like, came out of the womb very different than she had ever expected or experienced And how she was just very aware of her sexuality from a very early age. And she was like, I should have had her on birth control, like, by the time she was 11. Like, I mean, and they brought this child up in Catholic school, like, just like I was and all this stuff. Anyway, and she said the words to me, like, Jessica, I was just raised that sex is just something you did and you got it over with. And I was like. Excuse me. What? <laughs> what? I said, is that really how you feel? And she was like, I mean, that's how my mother taught me. And I was like, I, yeah, knowing, and I knew her mother when she was alive. Um, she's passed on now. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And just like how her daughter is now telling her, like, mom you should totally enjoy sex. Sex is awesome, you know? And she's like, I'm really uncomfortable with this conversation, you know? Um, But, you know, like, Eva, you were talking earlier about, like, abstinence. And, like, so that was, like, put in me, like, way early, like, the whole sex conversation. Um, But where, like, I was just 
shopping yesterday for things for the salon that I'm opening and my house. And I'm thinking of like all the things that I want to put in the bathroom and how I need shelving and all these things. And I was like, oh, maybe I should like just grab extra tampons or something like in case one of my clients needs one. Um, I mean, I personally make the choice. Like I personally don't wear tampons, TMI, but like I don't, but I was like, oh, but I should buy some for my clients who do need them. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll stick them under the cabinet. And I was like, no, I'm going to put them on a shelf in the fucking bathroom so that they know that they're there for them. And that my male clients are just going to have to deal with staring at them every time they go to the bathroom Mm -hmm. because that is nothing to be ashamed of. There's no shame in that. Yeah, Yeah. totally. So those are just like little things that have come up in my life, like within the last week. (laughs) I love that you brought up uh, just like women's sanitary needs in general being shamed yeah and that there are some places in the world where women like just don't have access to Mm -hmm. the things that they need to get through a monthly cycle and the shame that you feel as like a preteen girl when you start the whole bleeding cycle like that it is exactly what we're talking about with cultural shame that Mm -hmm. where because one of my favorite books my favorite book honestly that i've ever read is called the red tent um, and Anita Diamante wrote it. It is, I will tell you, like, if you haven't read it and you want to read it, don't hate me when you get into like the first 50 <laughs> pages or so, because it's really heavy. Like it, it, it reads a little like a Bible in mm-hmm. the beginning. So-and-so beget, so-and-so beget, mm-hmm. so-and-so. And I remember when I first started reading it, I was like, what am I even doing? You know, but get into it. Cause it's so okay. powerful yeah. and it rearranged everything about how I feel about being a woman and what that means physically to your body. And that that used to be celebrated and sacred and women were too powerful to be in the presence of when they, and they would come together in this red tent and they would tell stories and rub each other's feet and feed each other honey treats. And I was like, my God, I want that life. Give me a red tent right now. I'm actually kind of annoyed. We don't do it. Um, But that the way that culturally we treat women because they're going through this natural cycle that all most all women go through, you know, mm-hmm. is a collective shame that has changed over centuries, you know, and hopefully we start to shift this tide a little bit where it can go back to something that's like really sacred and honored. But like, I remember when I got my first period and it was kind of like, yeah, sorry, this is something that we all yeah. have to do, you yeah. know? You and so from the get go, I was like, oh, this is a thing that sucks, you know, like this is just something that's shameful. Um, and that those things have such big impacts on the way that we look at it for our lifetime. Yeah. And I think what's so fascinating about the cultural is we don't even know what's happening, right? Yeah. It's the boiling frog syndrome where we're mm-hmm. just like brought up in it. And so unpacking that is an effort in itself. But then like all of us have done, when you start to go on your own path, and you're really trying to claim your truth and your knowing, right? There's like honoring of self. It goes against the cultural shame, yeah. right? It goes against the things that we were learned or that we were taught. Um, and that's where kind of like the the gold is, right? Is It's really good to be aware. And I think this is like the shadow side of spirituality is we can become really aware of why we do things, which is awesome. And you need to do it. And then we stop because we're like, well, I know I don't want to do this because I don't want to be rejected. Okay, are you doing it? No, I'll be rejected. Like, why would I do that? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. That, that like, the doing of the things, like putting the tampons out was you being like, okay, what's the story? Mm-hmm. Okay, that there's shame here. Is that real? No. no. What am I going to do? I'm going to rewrite the story and put it out for people to see. And like, by the way, no one's even going to have a big deal with it. Like, they, right. like, it's also a story in our head that people are going to react to it. But it's this idea that this is really where the healing and the shifting happens yeah. for us. And then what we what we do with our clients is like, okay, the knowledge, how does it show up in your life? And then how do we then start to do a little differently? And that's when the fear kicks in yeah. and that's when the shame gets real loud, right? So I notice that when I'm trying to do something brave or that's in my alignment with my truth, my shame voices come and like, an orchestra, you know, they're attacking me on all sides. Things happen in my life to validate that I shouldn't be doing this, that I'm not worthy of this. And it takes so much effort and love from people I know to be like, I got this, right? Like, do I have this? Yeah. <laughs> because it's hard and we want to recognize that like shame is layered 
And it's old and it's thick. It's not just our shame. It's not our family shame. It's cultural shame. But it takes such love for self to be like, okay, I'm going to make a little bit of a movement today and a little bit of movement tomorrow. And then having people that love us be like, yeah, I saw that. And that was great. Instead of like, what are you doing? Like, I can't believe you're doing yes. that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Support is such a big part of healing shame. Yes. Um, yeah. Because, you know, like we were talking about earlier, like we recorded this whole course on shame and then we were like stuck in our shame story for a minute, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that over the last year that this whole like healing journey has been in high gear there have been countless times where mm-hmm. I'm having a moment and I'll like send Eva a Marco Polo <laughs> or I'll go have coffee with her and we'll sit down and I'll tell her about what I'm struggling with. And it's so like nourishing to have somebody be like, no, that's not it at all. Like you, it, you just need people that are going to help remind you that you know what's good for you and mm-hmm. that this voice in your head or the story that's coming up is just a story. And now we're going to like work this out together a little bit. That kind of support is not, I was not used to that on a lot of fronts. Maybe not because it wasn't there, but just because I had this story that I didn't have the support, right? That I, um, that I couldn't share these parts of me that felt so real and so scary and so big. And it's so funny because like, as soon as you have somebody that loves you, validate the fact that that's garbage and that you mm-hmm. get to reassign this, then after a while, you do start to kind of unconsciously do it with everything, you know, and you get more practice and the muscle gets stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the beginning, there's just so many voices that are pushing you the other direction. And you're so used to listening to that narrative and shutting down around it instead of like going deeper into it. And one of your analogies that I love so much is like this idea of like the pie. And there's like, mm-hmm the filling in the pie and we get into it and we're like, Oh, I found it and it's done, you know, but really like you're not done. you got to get like all the way down through the filling into the crust, which Mm -hmm. is where, you know, like the good stuff is. And that doesn't happen without you continuing to like allow yourself to explore some of these really dark things. Cause like you said, we don't want to look at shame. It feels Mm -hmm. shameful, you know, like it's gross and it's icky. And, um, which is why it maybe took us a minute to get this course together, you know, is because who wants to, consciously look at that and dig into it but there is so much gold and healing mm-hmm. in the exposing of it and then you having permission to hold your own space for it and work on the healing of it you know so you can get to the other side um one piece of shame that we have not talked about yet is like body shame and physically you know like shame that we feel for the way that we look or mm-hmm. Um, or like if you're working on something, so if you're working on your health or you're working on your fitness or whatever, like the shame that you feel when you fall mm-hmm. off the wagon. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. these ideas of like physical shame, I think are so prevalent and collectively anyway, mm-hmm. it's one of the reasons that, um, I so love working with Charlotte Lee yes. is because she gives you so much confidence around how you look, mm-hmm. um, And she doesn't do it, like, I want to say she doesn't do it on purpose. I'm sure, like, part of it is purposeful. But it's just who she is because she really loves herself, you know? And so it, like, transitions in the photos that she takes of you, you know, in the ways that she works with you. Um, But there is this whole cultural idea of, like, you have to hate your body. You know, like, that there's something not right about your body from the very get-go. And I know that because I felt like that when I was a 13-year-old cheerleader and had, like, the bomb ass stereotypical, you know, like cosmopolitan body. And I still hated on it viciously, you know? Um, and in my mind's eye, I look the same today as I did then, you know, like there was no difference. And have you ever done that thing where you look back at photos of yourself, you know, from like 20 years ago and you're like, Oh my God, why did I hate myself so much? Like, look Mm -hmm. how amazing I looked. Um, and that, that is something specifically for women. I think that gets in their heads hardcore. For sure. Um, you know, I, Lizzo is like my goddess. Oh God, I love me some Lizzo. <laughs> um, what I love about Lizzo's content is that for plus size communities, specifically plus size women of color, is that, you know, there's this story out there that if you're plus size or fat, that you don't take care of yourself. Yeah. And Lizzo's content, if you follow it, that girl is working out. Nope. She's eating super awesome food. Mm-hmm. 
Um, she does take care of herself. And there were articles towards the end of 2021 that like she still gained weight at the end of it all. And like how she had to be okay with that because everyone's coming to her like from all these different directions on the way she looks. Yeah. Never mind that she has the voice of a freaking goddess and, you know, that she's such a badass. But um, they like that that's what people want to focus on and see is her body image. And I'm like, it, it you know, if you would listen to her message and her voice and her like, that's what I'm here for. Mm. Um, I mean, I love her content no matter what she's doing. But, um, you know, and our friend... Julie Murphy. Julie's the best. Who has taught me so much about what it means to move through the world as a plus-sized person and living in a world that was not built for you. Yeah. Um, It has to suck, you know? And that I now approach things like that with a lot of empathy where I'm designing my whole salon around... You know, I want people to be able to sit and be comfortable and not feel like they have to squeeze into this chair. And, you know, um, that just educating yourself on that and um, having the empathy to be like, okay, as a straight sized person, I don't know what that's like, but here I am and I'm going to move forward with my business or whatever it is. Um, Also being accommodating, appreciating how beautiful their bodies are, you know, like, and how beautiful my body is. Like one of the things that I was so inspired by that Charlotte has done is she took these, they were like black and white photos, but it was basically like plus size girls scrunched up naked. And she like took pictures of folds and rolls and of, uh, and stretch marks and cellulite and things that like on a traditional sense, we're not taught are pretty. And these photos were stunning. Like, and I've just noticed like uh, Tess Holiday does it a lot too, mm-hmm. you know, like where there's so much beauty in these bodies, but it's only beautiful because they are reframing what it means to shame this body that I'm in right now, you know, and that I'm not going to allow you to do it. Look how fucking fantastic it looks, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And Lizzo does that. And so, and that that is for a curvy girl who's still technically straight sized, you know, but like not model sized at all is so freeing and reassuring for me to watch them do it. And then I'm like feeling better about the way my body looks all of a sudden, which is what this term on like body shaming is all about is it's not shameful to have a body. Yes, Like whatever body you have is amazing, you know, and that if but that it doesn't look amazing in your mind's eye unless you believe that mm-hmm. and it is a long haul for a curvy plus size girl to believe that about herself because that's not what she saw but that didn't start to shift for me till i started following people and looking to people in what i consumed through all kinds of media you know mm-hmm. that looked different you know and that could help educate and train my eye you know to see these things in a different way because all I was looking at before was things that didn't look like me, you know, right. and didn't represent what my body shape was all about. So, well, and then there's like a whole other side to that coin of like people with disabilities. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That people, you know, in wheelchairs, you know, people automatically think like, Oh, they must not be able to have sex Yes, or they must not. Um, or there's no way that that person could have a relationship with, you know, a normal person right. or whatever that means to them. Um, and that those bodies are just as valuable as anyone else's Absolutely. bodies. And these are still people with beating hearts and feelings and souls who um, want the same thing that everyone else wants to be loved and to enjoy their life. And that their body is no less valuable because it's in a wheelchair or they need a walker or they, whatever, you know, there's a million things under that umbrella, but yeah. And I love what you guys are getting at. And it's really the core of everything I think is this idea that we don't actually have a right to judge or know what's happening in anybody. And everyone has an equal right to be happy, to be loved, to be seen, to heal, to have the lives that lives that they want. Right. Like 
there's no like there's no criteria or box you have to fit in, but we were taught that. And I think what we're pulling apart is this all keeps us separate, mm-hmm. right? When I just look at you and make these snap judgments, like how much am I missing out of getting to know you as a person when I'm just like, well, she doesn't have my politics. She doesn't believe in this. Like, mm-hmm. wow. You know, but I think it's this thing that a lot of us are breaking apart is if I truly believe that I'm unique and lovable, then I then have to think, everyone is unique and lovable, regardless of, I don't have to agree with them. Like you said, I don't Mm -hmm. have to agree with them. I don't even have to like them, Mm -hmm. but I can at least see them and be like, cool, like we're different, but like you're on your own journey. And can we all just admit that I don't know where your journey is taking you or why you're here or why I'm here, but that we're all unique and we're all doing the best we can. We really are. And it doesn't like justify, you know, I can already hear the people like, oh, are you just, no, we're not justifying anything. Mm -mm. We're just saying if we can find it to love ourselves, and that's really the struggle most of us go through in this life, then we can really find that in others. And it's by asking questions. It's by admitting, Hey, when mom yells, like, this is what's happening. Like Mm -hmm. these are the conversations like, Hey, Larry, today I'm feeling really insecure. This is what I need you to do. It's like holding space for each other to be human and recognizing that all of us no matter how you look, no matter how you're showing up, we're all insecure. We all have shame. We are all struggling. Just some of us are really good at hiding it and treating people like we don't care. And those are the people I'm like, yeah, like that was me. Like, I don't need you. Like, I'll do this on myself. And I was like, oh, baby girl, like (laughs) that's just telling me like you need, you want to like rely on people and trust people. But it's like, we all have our coping mechanisms, you know? And it's so easy to just, let ourselves judge things very like quickly and based on cultural, based on our own beliefs, based on what we think is right. And then to tell you what's wrong or right versus listening to you and being like, wow, okay, like, what do you need from me? Instead of like, well, obviously you're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. Cause that's our own self-talk, but it's not actually helping us to be better humans. Right. To your point, like, well, you're, where you're like, you gain weight. So this is what you do. You need to work out like, well, how about just tell me my body's beautiful and like that I'm beautiful yeah. and like, I can just be me. Like, let's just start there. And then we'll figure out the rest. But we instantly go to how do we fix you? Because this idea is, at least for shame, is that we're all flawed, Mm -hmm. right? That we're like unbroken. Right. And our whole life is like to be whole again. And I'm like, whoa, what if we flip it and we were always whole? We're just coming back to ourselves. Mm. Right. That is beautiful. Super beautiful. (laughs) I also love, and we've also had episodes on this, but we could talk about holding space all day long. That Mm. like... One of the big factors in, for me, in catching myself when I'm unconsciously like trying to fix somebody or offer advice, or in a lot of times this does come out as a shameful, you know, like space, is this idea that like when people are struggling and they're sharing something with me, that my first priority is just to be present with them, mm-hmm. to not offer the advice to not tell them what they should do, to not like, but just hold the space. And it's really uncomfortable for us to be with somebody who's struggling sometimes and not want to fix it. Like, and we've talked about this, like I'm a recovering fixer. That is so much of (laughs) um, like who I am and that people even gravitate towards me wanting me to help them fix things, you know? Mm -hmm. And that honestly, the best thing I can do is just be present and hold the space and love them and give them permission to like be wherever they are. And that that's not something that we teach each other. You know, like we don't teach that as a trait and it's learning how to hold space for people has truly changed. Like the way I interact with my friends and my family and especially with people that I'm not agreeing with or jamming with, you know, like it's a really beautiful thing to be Mm -hmm. able to separate the fixer and really just get into this place where I'm just going to sit here with you and be present while you're struggling. Yeah. Yeah. And what I love about this, and I think this is how we shift, is what you're saying, because I always like hear what people are saying. And then I hear them saying that to themselves. Mm-hmm. When we hold that space for ourselves is where change happens. Yeah. Because we're so uncomfortably even being in our own shit. So why would I be okay with listening to somebody else's like grief or their anger? Like if I'm not comfortable with my grief and anger, I'm not gonna be able to hold space for somebody else. Yeah. But it's always looking at where are those moments where I'm squirrely where I want to run, where I want to distract, where I want to clean, where I want to make a list, where I shame myself versus like, okay, why don't we just feel what we're feeling? And we're like, we'll figure out where it's coming from. But we don't even hold space for ourselves. Mm -hmm. 
right? But I think as we do both, and some of us learn by doing for others, you know, because that's who we are. And some of us, but it's like this both and like as you do one or the other, the beautiful part about healing each other and holding, because we all know what we're doing. We really do. Like we all have this knowing that when we quiet and we've all done it, when you're like, I don't know what I should do. And every time someone's like, well, just get quiet. Like, what do you want to do? Instantly, you're like, oh, it's a no. Okay. There you mm-hmm. go. Yeah. Right. That that's like where the gold is, right? That's where the juice is for each other and ourselves. Just that yeah. that space, that quiet, mm. even when it's uncomfortable, especially when it's uncomfortable. Like when I was driving over to your house to do the shame, I mean, like I was nauseous. I wanted to poop my pants. I'm like, I'm onto something good here. Like these yeah. are always cues because totally. I want to pop out. I'm like, I don't want to do this. And I'm like, okay, that means Eva, that means like, time. I love you. And we're going to do this with like grace and ease. We're not going to like, you know, like my, my old mantra was like, I don't care if you want to do this, like get in this room and do it. And I'm like, damn. And my new one is like, cool. Can we just go in the room? Are we like, can we just do this? Can you just take a step? And I'm like, okay. Like, you know, just this like loving of ourselves allows yeah. us to love others. I 1 million percent agree. And I think that like an exercise that I've been giving, I don't want to say clients because this happens like really, um, like organically. Um, I have a family member who went through a very shameful situation Mm -hmm. by her standards. Um, made a really difficult decision and was just struggling with it. And so she sent me a Marco Polo and was just like a mess. And when I sent her a Marco Polo back, I just said, just get quiet, put your hand over your heart. And like, how fucking cool is that? Your heart is beating on its own. You're a miracle and you're here and you're, you know, and so just like getting quiet, being present, And just realizing, like, what a freaking beloved miracle child of the universe you are (laughs) um, is, like, where the yummy stuff is. Totally where the yummy stuff is. Mm -hmm. You guys, I could talk about shame. All day. For days and days and days. Um, And if you're into it, then check out the course. (laughs) Just hit up the Badass Ladies Club. It'll be all over it. Um, I so appreciate you being here to talk about this with us like um guys there's more eva in the future to come we're gonna do more podcasts mm-hmm. we're gonna talk about more things um because clearly like if you listen to this podcast you know like she straight changed our lives yes. and um yeah. is making us and so many other people better humans so thanks for doing thank this you. today this is no. such an important topic thank you both it is such an honor and yes anytime I love playing with you guys I yes. love it thank you so screenshot this episode yes. hashtag shame um, <laughs> we will repost you guys we love you so much and have a great week bye bye